so I'm just making sure the rest got out. Okay, great, okay. Excited this morning as we enter, as we're continuing our study through Galatians, so if this is your first time with us or first time in a long time, we're just making our way through this, this letter that Paul has written where he is he's confronting, the letter's written because Paul is confronting uh, some false teaching uh, that has come into a church or churches that he planted in an area called Galatia. And what they're doing is telling those folks that Paul had seen come to, come to Christ, they're telling them that faith in Christ is important, but it's not enough. Uh, your right standing with God is also determined by whether or not you're keeping the Jewish traditions and the Jewish customs and the Jewish laws. And, and Paul's writing this letter, and so far what we've seen is he's, he's shared his authority. He's shared his immediate response of conversion to Christ and then obedience. He's shared uh, about some conversations that he's had with Peter and John and some of the other apostles. And all of this is laying a foundation for Paul to say justification. And I don't want me to scare you with that word, but justification is by faith, not by works. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the word justification, it means God declares a sinner to be righteous through their faith in Jesus. So what Paul is saying is God declares a sinner to be righteous not through what you do, but through the faith that you show, that you place in Jesus. We, he says this in Galatians 2.16, where over and over he says, it's not by works, it's by faith. It's not by works, it's by faith. It's not by works. And he wants to make that very clear to these Galatian believers. And then last week we saw how Paul applies this to the, to the believers. We looked at just two verses last week, right at the end of chapter number two. And, and Paul was saying two things. He said, if, if your faith unites you to Christ, that means you have been crucified with Christ. And of course, if you weren't here, we, we spent some time on, that doesn't mean we climbed up on the cross with Christ, but rather our old man, our old passions, our old desires, our old ways of the world, they went to the cross with Christ and they were crucified. They're dead. They've been buried. But because faith unites us with Christ in all things and he resurrected, that means we still have new life. Old self is buried, new life is living, but it's not that old self just coming back to, to life. It's Jesus himself coming to live in you, which is what Galatians 2 teaches. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. And then in, the, in that final verse, Paul basically says, if you could be justified or if you could find your righteousness through your own good works, then Jesus Christ, if you look at the, just the last phrase last sentence behind me if righteousness were through the law then christ died for no purpose there was no reason for jesus to die if you could find your own righteousness he says basically paul says if you continue to assume that your way to god is through your own good works you're making the greatest event in the history of the world of no effect in your life I, I know that we as believers, for us to, to see that, like, how could anybody? But I, I think this is far more common than we might realize. I think it might even be true of people sitting inside of this room. You could point to the cross and you could say, I know what it represents. It represents Jesus dying for the sins of the world. But then as the question I love to ask people is, if God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven and say, why should I let you into my kingdom? How would you answer that? 
And the same people who say, I know that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world would answer that question. Well, I, I guess I would have to tell God the only way I get into heaven is because I was a good person. No. If that's true, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. And so Paul's trying to, trying to share with, with the Galatian believers who are starting to think it's their works that are very important. No. You've been crucified with Christ. He lives in you. If it wasn't for his crucifixion, you would have no hope for righteousness. And Frank Good, just two weeks ago, Frank met me after the, after the service as he, as he regularly does and said, you know, it was he had a good friend that Galatians 2.20 was the verse that really changed things in their life. They grew up in church and knew Jesus died for the sins of the world. But Galatians 2.20, there's a beautiful phrase says the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me is jesus the messiah for the whole world absolutely did jesus come to deliver the world by laying down his life yes but at some point we have to understand that we were a part of that purpose i'm not central in it god is central jesus is central but it was for me because he loved me if you've never been to the vietnam wall i I hope that you get a chance to go sometime in washington dc we used to take uh, school groups there all the time, so I've probably been there 12 or 15 times, just at different times. And I remember the first time I ever saw the Vietnam Wall, it was at dusk and it was starting to light up. And you just, these names, it starts out real small and goes up high and then comes right back down to a small little point if you've never seen it. But just these names of men all, and women all over this wall. And what I noticed is that there's very few people who actually care. I don't mean to be unkind, but you watch student groups, the kids who are there because their school takes them on a trip to Washington, D.C. They're just, they're just running through the area where the, where the wall is, and they're, they're laughing, and they're, they're telling jokes, and all while all these names are representative of people who have given their life. And so I, I, I remember a number of years ago when we'd go, I'd started doing something. People will bring trinkets or letters or cards or pictures and lay them at the base of the Vietnam Wall. And so I, I would pick them up and read them. And I'd look at the pictures and I'd look at what the note says. Sometimes I've read notes from, from children and grandchildren whose parents or grandparents, their name's on that wall. I've, I've seen pictures that were drawn by great-grandchildren who, because they, they lost their life, they never got to meet that great-grandchild. Every time I do that, there's just an emotional connection that takes place to those, that list of names. But there was one time we went on this trip, and one of the chaperones was actually a Vietnam veteran. And he went to the years where he served, because it's how it's done, the wall's done, and he found the the name of a buddy that he had served with who had been shot and killed during their tour. All of a sudden, it wasn't a list of names for him. There was a name on that wall that mattered. Jesus died for the world, church. But he died for you.
Yeah, there, there's, there's a large book that has lists of names of people that are a part of the family of God. But I, I want you to know that while Jesus is truly the Messiah for the whole world, and John 3.16 is vital for us to understand that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever, he gave him for the world, but it's, it was for you. He loved you. Gave himself for you. I think that's what Paul is trying to get to in, in chapter number three. We're going to, just, just to give you a little bit of a hint, we're going to read one verse and you're going to seem like the whole sermon's going to be on the first verse and then we're, we're, we're going to read a few more, but it'll be right near the end just, just so your, your mind is with me. But let's just look at the first verse of chapter number three. Before we read it, can I, can I just make sure that you understand this? Well, we're reading a letter. You all have a copy of it in your hand, whether it's on a Bible or a phone. You have a copy of it. That's not what would have happened. The church would have gathered, whether it was in a house or in a public place, but only one person would have had a copy of Paul's letter. And everybody would have gathered in anticipation of the man who planted their church, the man who introduced them to Jesus. He wrote us a letter. This is going to be amazing. This is going to be exciting. They're gathering in anticipation for it. And then whoever picked up the letter to read it reads this. You foolish Galatians. I'm sorry, I'm reading from the NIV this morning. Just, just for clarity's sake on the next few verses. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. <laughs> Could you imagine that? You've gathered to hear from the man who told you about Jesus and you're excited about what he's going to write and he comes down and says, you are a fool. Who's bewitched you? That's going to get your attention, right? Paul's not condemning them or he's not, he's not saying this because they have a failure to believe something they've never heard before. I mean, there's people maybe here today, there's people in the world we're going to meet who they've never heard the true gospel story. But there's plenty of people who have heard it and rejected it. And Paul is saying, you, you, I've shown you so clearly the one message that you must know, that Jesus is the Christ, and he brought deliverance to the world through his crucifixion. I gave you everything you needed to know. I have preached the gospel to you. I clearly showed you who Jesus was as the Christ. He was the Messiah that came. And in his death and in his resurrection, he has brought deliverance to you. He has ushered in the kingdom of God. And you're, you've been bewitched. Which bewitched is a spiritual connotation. It just doesn't mean you're fooled. It means there's some sort of spiritual connotation to this. But see, these believers weren't in, weren't in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. So Paul's not talking to them about, you saw it. He's saying, I so clearly presented the message to you that you saw Jesus was crucified. It's what he says to the Corinth church too. I preach Christ and Christ crucified. But you've been spiritually tricked. A truth that you should not have misunderstood you're beginning to believe a lie that somebody is coming in and telling you that you must bring something of your own to be right with God, that your good works somehow have a part to play in your right standing with God. 
But, but, but here's the thing. This isn't an issue that only the Galatian church has struggled with. There are religious institutions today that leave many people confused. I, I have probably had four or five conversations in the last two weeks that have really stood out to me. One of them was with a, a man who told me a little bit of his story. He said, I... I grew up going to church, but because, of, because I was little, I always went to kids' church. And I want you parents of young children to just, just to hear what his story is. I grew up going to church, but I was always dismissed. We went to kids' church, which of course is fun, and there's always a biblical message. No question about that. Your kids aren't getting short, shortchanged here at Mount Carmel. But he said, but when junior high came around, we got into sports. And we missed weekends all the time. He said, in fact, even on weekends when we could have been at church, we didn't go because we had just kind of gotten out of the habit of going. Now he's an adult, and he's sitting down with me and saying, he's not deconstructing his faith like I don't know what to believe anymore. He literally has no idea what to believe. He never matured as a Christian because his time in church was always spent in kids' church and then no church. And now he doesn't know what to believe. And so he's asking me questions like this. Do I have to go to church to be saved? Do I have to read my Bible to be saved? Do I have to pray every day? Do I have to give money and tithes and offerings? Am I supposed to serve somewhere? To, is that how I'm saved? And of course, the I know the simple answer to that, but I, I wanted to hear more about what he meant. So I, instead of just giving him an answer, I said, well, what do you mean when you say saved? And he said, well, so I go to heaven when I die. Now, this is, this is becoming more clear to me. So I'm on this journey as well. But I really believe we have made a grave mistake in Christianity by placing such a great emphasis on going to heaven when we die that we have distorted the true meaning and the true purpose of what salvation is meant to accomplish. When salvation is more about us going to God than about God coming to us where we are right now, We've missed the greater purpose of salvation. God, God isn't waiting for us to live with him in heaven someday. That's not the point of being saved. He desires to be our life, not to be in our life. He desires to be our life on earth today, which is why when Jesus came, he said, I am bringing the kingdom of God to you, he didn't say one day you'll go to the kingdom of God. But we, we, have, we have a group of generation, we have a generation or two of people who are convinced that being saved means when I have no longer have breath to live, I'm going to go be with God. No, 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 God wants to be with you while you have breath. He wants to be a part of your life today. Man, Aaron, just Jesus saves. 
But we have this idea that we got saved back then and we'll be saved up there when we go to heaven. And what about all the in-between? No, no, no. He is with us today. He is doing a work in us today. And I told this man that to me the purpose of salvation has far less to do with being saved from hell and it has far more with being saved to God. What we call salvation is not about what we're saved from, but it's about who we're saved to. I mean, Jesus certainly warned people of the judgment to come. I understand that. He he told them, if you do not believe me, if you do not believe my message that I am the Son of God, I am the Deliverer sent by the Father, that's who I am. If you don't believe this, Judgment awaits you. You're going to be like the branches cut off a vine and thrown into a fire who are just consumed. You're going to be like the the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when fire fell and they were completely destroyed. That's what awaits you if you do not believe in me and in my message. But when Jesus spoke of eternal life, what we would call being saved, he doesn't talk about a future life. He spoke of eternal life as a present right now relationship not a future state of living he says in john 14 to his disciples i go to prepare a place for you oh so heaven is about a place i go to prepare a place for you but listen but i will come again and i will receive you unto myself that where i am you will be also so what is eternal life about being with christ not about a mansion not about golden streets, not about pearly gates. With Christ is eternal life. Eternal life is not about living in a place. It's about living with a person. When Jesus talks about eternal life in John 17, 3, as he's in prayer to the Father, he says, this is eternal life. He Explains it for us that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So, what is eternal life? It's not about where I go, it's about who I know. But this great danger in emphasizing salvation is a future deliverance from hell as we go to heaven one day rather than a present relationship with God, and we, we see it taking root. In the generations now because here's what's happening in this generation that has grown up sort of in church but not fully understood it and thinking well i've been saved so i'm going to go to heaven when i die well then here's what happens the bible to them becomes an instruction manual rather than a story of redemption we view the bible we open up our bibles and we say well what am i supposed to do today no no No, this is not an instruction manual. It's a beautiful love story of how Jesus pursued his people. No one enjoys reading instruction manuals. That's why we don't enjoy reading the Bible. In fact, we don't even need instruction manuals. If we do something long enough, we never look at the instructions again. We figured out how to live, the, we figured out how to live the, the, the spiritual life, so what do we even need the Bible for anymore? I, I know what to do, but the Bible wasn't given for us to know what to do. We, give, we read the Bible to know the heart of our loving Heavenly Father and of our brother Jesus. Well, then how am I going to know what to do? 
They've given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads us into whatever we need to do. So I open up my Bible and I am moved afresh by how much Christ loves me. And as I, as I am moved by the Father's love and of Christ's sacrificial love, and if I am, as I am moved by the Spirit who leads and guides me, that's how I'm supposed to live as a Christian now. And not wait till one day when I'm with Him in some heavenly state. But also, I think our service becomes an exchange of goods rather than an act of love. We start looking for what we get in return each time we do something for the Lord or for others. Instead of seeing our actions as, as what we can give without any expectation of return. Whether it's our time, whether it's our money or our resources, we look at what we give and then we wait to see what we get in return. And when the return on our investment fails to meet our expectations, then here's what a lot of people do. We stop giving until we get. And I think the mentality of many Christians who grew up in church when it comes to generosity is, well, I would give more if I had more. But that means I'm waiting to give until I get. And the source of our generosity, whether it's, whether it's financial, whether it's time, whether it's our resources, in acts of service, the source is not, I have it, so I'll give it. The source is in realizing what I have been given by God through Jesus and what I can give back as an act of love after realizing what I've been given by God through Jesus. But for many, many Christians, giving is only a response to getting. It's a good thing our Savior didn't do that. Jesus becomes another problem. Jesus becomes a priority in our lives rather than the entirety of our lives. I was talking to a man, one of these conversations I had recently, who told me that he is, his, he started, well, I, I wake up and at this time I have my Bible reading and at this time, I, so I make sure to get it in, is what he said. And I, I said, man, that's wonderful. I'm so happy for you. But, but really, here's, is that how you treat people you love? I woke up and I said hi to my wife. Done for the day. Okay. I, I texted my kids, good morning, check, let's move on now. No, 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 our family, the people we love, they are a part of everything we do. And I think it's important to have a time where you're with the Lord, you're with God. But, but it doesn't mean like once you close the Bible in the morning for devotions, your time with God is done. But that's a mentality. He's a priority. No, he doesn't want to be a priority. He wants to be the entirety. Everything to us is what God wants. So, going back to that question, do you, do you have to read your Bible to be saved? Absolutely not. But do you have to, do you have to read your Bible to enjoy a relationship with God as he intended? Yes. Do you have to pray, serve, or give to be saved? No. But to enjoy relationship? Yeah. 
Do you have to go to life groups or home groups or be a part of some, some connection in this church other than, well, I come and listen? Do you have to do that to be saved? No. But if you really want to enjoy a relationship with Christ and with his body, then yes, you must absolutely grow in relationship. Because it's not just about coming to church on Sunday morning, checking the box until next Sunday morning. It's about I've come to church to celebrate what I've been thinking about and working for and striving for and worshiping. And what my mind has been on all week long. I finally come together with people who are of like mind and we stand and we sing. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Because I was thinking about it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And now we get to sing about it. Oh, man. That, that's why Jesus wants to not be a priority, but to be the entirety. Because he is trying to move our church, and that means you as individuals. He's trying to move us in our faith to something new, and we have to grow. First, in, in 2016, when our family visited here, and, and we, be, we became a part of this church in 2017, you had this little snapshot of what the Hasse family did in faith. But I will be completely 100% transparent with you that the Hasse family was nowhere close to taking this step of faith in 2015. No way. Or in 2016, in the first six months. No way. We were not there. But it was a growth every day as we grew in Jesus to where he put us in a place where we had to take a step of faith. And we said, okay, we'll go. You saw the tail end of that. But man, there was a whole lot of growth that had to come before that. And that's what he wants to do in our lives through faith. I think it's kind of what Paul says when he, when he goes into these next few verses. So let me just read these next few verses with you and then we'll kind of button things up. He goes to five straight questions in verses two through five. Paul says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. And he's being very sarcastic here, okay? He's already called them foolish Galatians. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by you believing what you heard? And Paul asks five questions in a row, but they all come back to the same basic truth. Did you start this journey of following Jesus by faith in receiving the Spirit or by your own good works? Okay, we all know the answer to that. You started this journey by faith. You believed and you received the Spirit. Then why are you now turning to works of the flesh. Why are you now turning to your own power as saying, I, I received it by faith, but I'm going to keep it by works. That's what Paul is trying to, to really fight here. And I, I think when I, when I read these, these, these uh, questions so fast, it took me back to the days when I coached. I was a really nice coach. I never yelled at my guys. Uh, yeah, well, we, we had a wrestling tournament. If you, if you know anything about wrestling, it's, it's individuals on a mat, but they're representing teams. 
and we had one, we made it to the championship of one tournament, and it was going to be a tough match, and we had three matches left to go, and we were losing by seven points, but I knew the last two wrestlers that I had, they were studs, and they were going to win by pin. A pin earns your team six points. We were down seven. That's six. Uh, we were down seven. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, that's, I, I did not teach math. Yeah, oh, sorry. We were down seven, three matches to go. I knew we had 12 points in the bag. I, we had 12 points in the bag. My last two guys were going to win. So it was up to this 189 pounder. And I looked at, I mean, this, this is, I got like real close. Like, look at me. If you lose, and you better not lose, but if you lose, do not get pinned. If you get pinned, we have no chance. We're going to be down 13 going into the last two matches. If you just get beat by points, we're going to win this tournament. We got the championship if you don't get pinned. Well, I mean, you know why I'm telling the story, right? He makes it through the first two periods, just great, gets in the third period, and with 20 seconds left in the entire match, he gets put on his back. We are screaming, get off the mat, get off your back, get off the mat, get off your back, and with like two seconds on the clock of a six-minute match, I watched him give up. I just watched him slump, and the ref blew the whistle and smacked the mat, and, and, and with two seconds left, he got pinned. He got up. He shook the guy's hand. He came back to me as a coach, and I went into the Apostle Paul mode. Are you kidding me? Did you know how much time was left? Dude, I not tell you don't get pinned. Do you know how close you were to the edge of the mat? Do you realize that it cost us the tournament because you did that? Are you kidding? Do you not listen to me? Ah, right? So I, I was very gentle, though. Uh, And I think, like, when I was reading that, I was like, Apostle Paul's doing, like, come on. Don't you know what I've taught you? Don't you understand what you've learned? You started with the Spirit. You started in faith, and somehow you're turning to thinking that it's up to you now. You couldn't get yourself in. Do you somehow think you can keep yourself in? I think Paul's summary is, like, since you received a right standing with God by his free gift of grace, why are you convinced that your own efforts can keep your right standing with God? And you know, again, I know this letter was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But don't we face that today? If you're a believer in Jesus... You know, I am 100% certain I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are guaranteed of that. But there are Christians all over the world who believe they started their journey of following Jesus by faith, but because of, well, because of the clothes they wear, or the number of times they go to church, or the music that they listen to, or what they do or don't eat or drink, that they somehow think, I am now righteous because of what I do. No. No. We start our journey in following God through faith in Jesus. He becomes our righteousness, and we don't take the reins back. He stays our righteousness. 
It is today. If you have placed your faith and if you have placed your trust and faith in Jesus for who he is as God's deliverer and what he has done for you and laying his life down for you, if you've done that by faith, then today you return to that same place and say, my right standing with God today is not about the fact that I came to church. It's not about what I wore. It's not about what I ate. It's not about who anything I have done. Today, my right standing with God is simple. It is still because of Jesus and his righteousness having been applied to my account. That's it. And Paul says it in verse 3. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Don't get me wrong. True faith always results in good works. But when our focus becomes what we do or what we don't do, we start looking to ourselves. And we, we take our eyes off Jesus. We start looking to ourselves and not to Jesus as our, right, as our standing with God. But, but please, church, we have to go back. We received our right standing with God through faith when we saw that we were sinful creatures and Jesus didn't leave us alone. God sent a deliverer to come. And he didn't come like everybody was expecting. They thought he was going to win an earthly battle. He won a spiritual battle. And when we see who he is and what he has done, God gives us, because of our faith, the righteousness of Christ. Here's where we have to go. We have to go back to today. We have to go back today to the fact that our righteousness today is not based on what we've done. It is based solely on what Jesus has done for us. I listened to two Bible commentators recently who talked about how much they dislike the term the God of the second chance. Now I know there's some of you might be like, wait, wait a second. That's exactly what I thought wait a second. He is the God of the second chance. Here's what they said. Saying that we, have, we serve the God of the second chance makes us assume that since we failed in our first chance and God wiped the slate clean to give us a second chance, we had better not fail this time. Which means it's back on us again. See, if our God is the God of the second chance, what do we tell ourselves after we mess up the second chance? And you will. Well, he gave me a second chance, and I screwed that one up too. He's not going to give me a third chance. But that's not what the gospel is. That's not what Christianity is, because you and I are going to mess up as many clean slates as God gives us. We're going to mess up every single one of them. We are never going to get it right. At no point will we finally become spiritually mature where we start living the way we absolutely should. But the good news of the gospel is that every time we have a slate that we mess up, Jesus comes right back and says, let me wipe that off and let me give you my slate once again. I know you're going to mess this one up, so I'll be back tomorrow. That's what the gospel is. That's the good news, that it's not up to us. It is up to him. But see, we, we, because we look at him as a God of a second chance, sometimes we think, I failed so many times. He would never want me. Oh, you are so wrong. He sent his son to come get you. 
That's how much he wants you. That's why eternal life is all about a relationship because he wants to be with you, yes, for all of eternity, but he wants to be with you now. So he sent his son to redeem you so you could have a relationship and it's not based on what you accomplish. It's based on what Jesus has accomplished for you and your faith and trust in him. I mean, how different would it be? How would you feel that if you knew that, that God, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong one. How would you feel if you knew that God wasn't surprised by your failures, but before you ever failed, he actually made a way for you to be right with him when you failed. See, we, we look at God as like, hey, he's sitting up there waiting for us to screw up again. Yeah, no, he knows we're going to screw up again. That's why he gave us Jesus. And, and he, was, he was moving as Ephesians 1 tells us, he was moving before we ever failed. He was making provision for that failure. So how do we respond to this? And I'm done. Every day, preach the gospel to your heart. Every day, remind yourself it's not up to you today. It's up to your faith in Jesus. Find a gospel community to grow in faith. You need someone to remind you when you fail. It's not up to you. And you need someone to remind you when you're doing really good. Hey, it's still not up to you. On your best days, you still relate to God through the faith you have in Jesus. And on your worst days, praise the Lord, you relate to God through your faith in Jesus. You need someone to remind you of that. Open your heart. Open your ears and your heart to, to, to the Spirit who wants to move you in faith to show God's love in new ways and sometimes in difficult ways. But it's what he wants to do. And, and as you serve, learn to share the message with words. Meaning, don't just say, hey, I want to do something nice for you. Boy, accompany it with words of the gospel. I'm stopping to help you because there was a day when I was in need and Jesus helped me and I want you to experience the same love that I have experienced. See, when you help somebody and you talk about the gospel, you're reminding your heart of what Jesus did for you while you're sharing the message with others. In just a moment, we'll close and we'll close with that song that Aaron uh, led us in this morning and taught us about, about um, thank you Jesus for the blood applied. But for just a moment, I'd love for you to just bow your head and close your eyes with me where you are. And I, I would just love for you to think through how, how are you relating to God today? Are you thinking that God finds his approval in you because of what you've done this week, because you're, you're sitting in church today? And if so, I would just encourage you to, to repent. And, and remind your heart that's, that's not what it's about. That you relate to God because of your faith in his son Jesus and what